The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host... Steven Strong. It's hard enough to break into broadcasting in any capacity at a professional level, but imagine being the voice of your hometown squad that you grew up falling in love with. John Ireland isn't just imagining it, he's living it. He's been the radio voice of the Los Angeles Lakers since 2011 and joins the Sports Talkers podcast to share his journey and reveal some of his favorite Kobe Bryant stories that you won't want to miss. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review the Sports Talkers podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. BarrettSportsMedia.com is the website. Without further ado, let's not waste any more time. Here is John Ireland. You're a California kid. I mean, this is, you talk about living the dream. You're living the dream right now for the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers. Uh, let's first start here. When did you first get this dream of uh, being a sports broadcaster? Steven, I have um, the world's most understanding parents because when I was a kid, I, I'd like, probably like you, probably like everybody. Uh, I love sports, love to play sports, love to be outside. And then when I'd go in and watch games on TV, I couldn't believe somebody got paid to describe what was happening. I thought that I would have done that for free. And so I started working towards it, um, started taking a lot of speech classes in high school, radio broadcast classes, got to UCLA, did the same thing. And uh, and it, I, I just knew I was lucky. I knew at a young age that this is what I wanted to do. So I constantly, throughout that whole journey I just described, would turn down the sound on games and announce them. Mm. And my parents let me. You know, I'm sure it was the most miserable experience of their lives, <laughs> but they let me. And then when I got to college, I was a little better at it because I've been doing it for a while. So my college roommates would let me. And then I got a job at the campus radio station. And that was the first time I ever did it, like in front of other large groups of people. And after that, uh, it was on kind of off and running. That's kind of the short version of I was I was kind of like a Phil Mickelson putting my golf clubs out on the porch for yep. my parents and all to see. But lucky for me, it out. What did you feel like you had that others didn't that gave you that confidence that you were going to make it one day? I'll answer it this way. There are three things that popped into my head when you said that. Number one, I don't even since I was a kid, I don't sleep. I, I'm one of those guys that if I sleep four hours a night, I'm good. And I've had that since I was probably 11 or 12 years old. It used to scare the crap out of my parents. But because uh, I'd be, you know, they'd, they'd make me go to bed at 10 o'clock and I'd be up at two working. Yeah. And uh, so I've been blessed with the ability to kind of get, I, I have more hours in a day than most people do. And and so I, I you know, I, I guess what some people would say, it gives me more time to think, but I'd like to think it gives me more time to do stuff to prepare. Sure. Um, I knew I could do it because I had been doing it at home for so many years. And when I got a chance to do it in front of others, people said, well, you're not half bad at this. And then um, you just kind of work your way up from there. Um, but I, I hadn't, so I don't completely duck your question. I had an ability to describe things that were happening and I could talk really, really fast and you could totally understand me no matter how fast I was talking. <laughs> and Steven, I grew up in L.A. and it was like going to de facto sportscaster school. So the first time I turn on the radio, there's Vince Scully doing baseball. Oh, my God. There's Dick Enberg doing the Angels. And there's Chick Hearn, who later became my idol, um, 
describing things so fast and in perfect understanding that I thought, wow, I could do that. And then I just started working on it. And, and by the way, the, the person who does that better than maybe anybody I've ever heard is Bob Miller, who's the Hall of Fame hockey announcer for the Kings. Um, if, if there was a contest of how many words per minute you could speak, I'm sure there is somewhere. I'd enter Bob in it and bet a lot on him. He can do it really fast. Let me talk about this experience. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I do Division Two and Division One games down here. I had four games on Saturday for the NCAA tournament down here in South Florida, and then two on Sunday. And my big thing was, how do I keep my vernacular fresh? You do this for 82 games. What are some of the things that you do to keep that vernacular fresh, that you're not saying the same stuff? Well, I and, and I'm surprised... If, if you did four games on Saturday and two on Sunday, you're younger than me, Stephen. But the other thing is you got to watch your voice. Um, one of the first things I did when I, I do a radio talk show every day in L.A. from one to four. And on some days I'll do the show and then roll right into the game. And I thought, well, I've got to kind of figure out a way to use my voice and in, inflection. Like I actually went to a voice coach who, who teaches like basic stuff like I never yell. I, I just don't. Um, he, he said, don't compete with environmental noise. If you're in an airport and it's super loud and you're, you know, just wait. I, and so he gives you these habits where you feel like you have a little more gas in the tank by the end of it. Um, and then this is going to be, a, Stephen, kind of a tip that other people feel exactly the opposite. Like I've talked to announcers that say, I don't like listening to other announcers because um, I'm trying to have my own style, my own rhythm, my own vernacular. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, and I've, I've heard that more than once that, you know, I just don't listen to other announcers. I'm exactly the opposite. I listen to every other announcer. I, I listen to as many games as I could possibly listen to and, and watch how people come up with different ways to describe things. I, I, you know, it's a, it's a business where it, it, particularly in, in sports talk radio, it's a business where that's derivative. You take all your bits from stuff that, that Mike and the Mad Dog did 10 years ago. Um, but you can do the same thing in sportscasting. I'll, Steven, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I, when I was going back to me being a kid and not being able to sleep, I, <laughs> my mom used to come in and yell at me and say, hey, you got to go to bed. I'd say, okay, turn off the lights. Okay. I took a transistor radio. I stuck it under my pillow. I turned it up just loud enough that I could hear Chick Hearn, but my mom couldn't hear it in the hallway. <laughs> and to this day, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing this. I was a sideline guy for 10 years. I'm the, this is my 12th year doing the play-by-play. All that phrases come out of my mouth describing Laker games that I've never said before. Mm. Uh, like you use, you use the word vernacular that, that I just didn't even know I had them in my vocabulary. And the only answer I have for it is that somewhere in this crazy brain of mine, I'm, I'm channeling Chick. There were phrases and things that he said that I just picked up and, and I have this kind of reserve in the back of my head and they pop out every once in a while, which the listeners love. I, I hear from listeners all the time and I wish I could control it. I just never know when it's coming out. I'd love to hear a Kobe Bryant story that is still in your heart that pretty much captures what kind of dude he was. I mean, when you talk about Kobe, what's one of the first stories that come to mind with you and him? How, how many hours do we have to sit here and talk? I, it, yeah, it, it, I consider him, Stephen, the great break of my career. Um, without him, I don't think I get the sideline job. I don't think I get the play-by-play job. And the reason is I got there the same year he got there. So 
I was in San Diego working, get a job in LA. Lakers draft Kobe. I start talking to him, build up. And so when he started to light people up, and I was the sideline reporter, I would get him, I don't know, 30, 40 times a year off coming off the court. And we we developed kind of a, a good rapport and he could kid with me and I could kid with him. And it kind of transcended into in into me being the the guy that was always kind of right with him when he broke all these great records. And and I, I just completely lucked out. Like a um, shot in Jordan. Right. To, to a much lesser scale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Ahmad rode that to a lot of great years at NBC. And I kind of was able to, to uh, have a front row seat to see both Shaq and Kobe. And then after they broke up Pow and Kobe, and then right to the end, my favorite game, Stephen, that I've ever called was Kobe's last game, the 81 point game. And just be, and it was a, terrible Laker team. I think we had 16, 17 wins that year, but uh, for one night, the only thing that mattered was him. And so that was really fun. Um, But so I don't talk your question. Here's a good, here's one good Kobe story. So I would do my radio show at various times of the day. Sometimes they'd be on at 10 in the morning. Sometimes they're on at two in the afternoon. Sometimes they're on at five. On days where there are games, I would have to do the show from the arena. So if it's a 7 PM game, Sometimes I'd have to go over to the arena at 11 in the morning just to go knock out a couple hours of the radio. So every time I went, no matter what time of day it was, there was Kobe on the court practicing something. And I mean, Stephen, this was without fault. One in the afternoon, eight in the morning, four, no matter what time I was there, he was. So I have no idea how long he had already been there. But I saw him working on something 20, 30, 40 times. I'm doing my show courtside. He's on the court by himself, and I see him working on this move. And he's doing a drop step, and he's spinning, and after a few practices, he's got it. And he comes over to the table to get a drink of water, and I said, hey, can I ask you something? I've watched you do that move now 30 times. Isn't that traveling? <laughs> and he looked at me, and he goes, without missing, like with total confidence, he goes, it is, but they won't call it. And I went, why? He goes, they haven't figured out that I'm, I'm moving the second foot. He said, I, he goes, I watched uh, uh, Tracy McGrady do it two nights ago. And ever since I saw him do it, he did it like three times. They didn't call it. I'm, watch how many times I do this tonight. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so he was that type of a visionary. He, he not only was working on the stuff that everybody else was working on, he was working on stuff that nobody else was even thinking of the whole time. I, I think the most successful people have that trait where it's like they add another layer of detail where it's like wait what you're going that far into detail you're uncovering that rock and to think that Kobe Bryant saw this move and was like instead of just some people just watch games just to watch them this guy had a purpose to watching pretty much everything listening to everything and uh, you mentioned something about Kobe and your relationship and we'll wrap this thing up two more questions with you um sure. how did you build that rapport with Kobe Bryant um it, there's there's a big element of luck in this question, but uh, so his first or second year, I uh, my son and his oldest daughter Natalia are the same age. They're born like almost in the same. I think they're born in the same month. So early in my relationship with him, one day I'm walking. There's a long corridor in, in an airport, and we're walking, and I said. How's it going? 
And he said, it's going good, but Vanessa can't get any sleep because Natalia, this baby, is just attached to her at the hip. You know, she loves her mom and she doesn't want to let her blah, blah, blah. And, and he goes, it's, he goes, I just feel bad for her. I wish I could do something. And I said, try this. And in my backpack, I had a, Stephen, you're probably too young to remember what these are, but for a certain uh, generation, they came out with these videos called Baby Einstein videos. Yeah. And there yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know what they are? Okay. So yeah. Baby Einstein, a Baby Galileo is about space. Baby Neptune is about water. Baby Mozart is about music. And what these what these are are their their twenty minute tapes, uh, or DVDs. Back Kobe and I were doing DVDs, where you put it on and your child is kind of mesmerized by the shapes and the colors and the, and you know whatever it's on. I go see, try this. Put Natalia in a bouncy chair in front of the TV, play this, and and tell Vanessa to watch it with her. And then Vanessa will have like 15 minutes of peace. She can go, you know, take a shower or get something to eat, you know. And he goes, okay, I'll try it. I, I had one in my backpack because I had bought one the day before. Comes back to me the next day and he goes, this thing is absolutely unbelievable. I, go, <laughs> I, I, I said, did you like it? He goes, like it. I went to the store and bought every baby Mozart in the collection. <laughs> and, a, and after that, Stephen, I was in. I was on the in crowd. So, oh, my uh, gosh. He uh, he knew, and and if uh, the other thing, if you're a local broadcaster, you have the benefit of just time. They they get to know you better, and they yep. know you're not. You know, a lot of athletes now want to control their own brand, and they they want to be very careful not to get into a situation where it's going to get confrontational or it's going to go viral. So there's a general distrust of the media. If you're around them all the time, they trust you just because they know you got to see them the next day. So that's a a part of it too. Unbelievable stuff, John. Leave us on this last tip here. Just advice for radio play-by-play broadcasters. Completely different deal than TV. Uh, we respect both, but let's start. Let's just talk about radio. Give us a a rule of thumb or or a thesis with uh, any advice you have for radio play-by-play broadcasters. So I mentioned earlier that uh, Chick Hearn, the legendary Laker announcer, was one of my mentors, and I was doing the Clipper radio play-by-play when Chip. Uh, Chick was at the end of the Laker radio play-by-play and he grabbed me one day and he he says uh, my, he had this big bombastic voice and he said Marge and I were driving home last night listening to you do the Clipper game and I, I said yeah what'd you think he goes I thought it was excellent although I have a piece of advice and I'm like literally sitting on the edge of my seat like oh, what, what great he goes, you know Nobody ever got in trouble in this business for giving the time and the score too much. <laughs> and I went, I didn't give the score enough. He goes, let's just say I give it every 60 seconds. I went, all right, thanks, Chick. So I go back and I listen to a Chick game. And Stephen, it's brilliant. He's given the score in like five different ways. He'll say, um, you know, Lonnie Walker dribbles down, lays it up and in. Lakers lead 54-48. Here come the Raptors. Fred Van Fleet dribbling up the other way. Raptors trailing by six. Throws the ball to Siakam. Down the other end, uh, 15-footer no good. Lakers with the six-point lead. Coming back up the other way. He just gave the score Mm. three times in 15 seconds with three different phrases. And he said, anytime the whistle blows, mention the clock. And I still do it. I, I, and, and he's right. If you listen to people that criticize, and now, of course, because of Twitter and social media, everybody is a critic. If I make any type of oh yeah, 
of thing, good or bad, by the way, you hear it, you know, you get immediate feedback. Um, one thing that, that comes back to me a lot is I like the way you always give the score. And and that's directly from Chick because he told me that that's something he's doing from the beginning. So the, the best advice I would give to a play-by-play guy is when you get stuck, when you're trying to find your words, when you are trying to get into a rhythm and find a cadence, you cannot get in trouble for saying the score or the time left too much. You can say it twice in 20 seconds and no one's going to criticize you for it. So that's a good, a good tip and a good fallback. And a big thanks to John for joining us today. Make sure to check out every podcast and article on the website, bearsportsmedia.com. Thanks everyone for listening. We will talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers podcast with Stephen Strong. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.